invented by a few years ago, you'd have got this. Sand and loads of it. Then an amazing thing happened. Fantasy became reality. In the space of just 20 years, Dubai turned from desert into a jaw-dropping oasis of stone, marble, concrete, glass and raw excitement. <laughs> Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm David Kestenbaum. Today is Wednesday, December 2nd, and that was British TV presenter Piers Morgan, you heard at the top of the podcast, on a television travel show about the subject of today's podcast, Dubai. And our Planet Money indicator, our patented Planet Money indicator, is also about Dubai. The number is $26 billion. That's $26 billion. That is the amount of debt that Dubai World, that's a company which is owned by the government of Dubai, is seeking to restructure. And by restructure, we mean they're basically saying we can't pay this back on time. We know it. We owe it to you, but uh, we got to work something out. Now, this uh, surprise announcement that they needed to restructure this, this sort of took the world by storm. And it was a huge story over the weekend. It really freaked out stock markets around the world. They were plummeting earlier this week before they regained most of their losses yesterday and today. And we here at Planet Money have been looking into the issue of Dubai and Dubai world and why this was such a big deal. Yeah. When I when I heard the story, I was like, do I need to be afraid of this? Somebody's afraid of this, <laughs> right. but I don't understand it at all. So that's what this podcast today here is for. So here are some quick facts and figures. So Dubai is an emirate. It is one of seven that make up the United Arab Emirates, called the UAE. Uh, Dubai has its own government, its own finances. But these emirates, um, I was just looking on a map, they exist on a fairly small uh, piece of land. I looked it up. It's exactly the same area as South Carolina. If South Carolina were a loose confederation of seven sheikdoms. Um, and actually, Dubai is not the biggest or the wealthiest. That is Abu Dhabi. That is the biggest and the wealthiest of these emirates. Dubai is the second biggest and richest. Uh, the remaining five are, are pretty small and, and not very wealthy. Um, and Abu Dhabi is the one with by far the most oil. It has tons and tons of oil. Dubai just has a little bit of oil, um, which is why it has embarked on the strategy to try to diversify its economy. And this campaign really kicked into high gear when the current ruler, Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum, took over as crown prince. That was in the mid-1990s. And basically, Dubai took its oil money and invested it in lots of other businesses. Uh, Emirates Airlines, Dubai Ports World, which manages ports all over the world. And of course, Dubai invested in a lot of real estate. And with the global downturn, a lot of these investments are looking not so great. It invested in casinos in Vegas, which now look to be in trouble. It invested in a company which hoped to build recreational submarines. I did not know that. Yeah, that didn't work out so well. Uh, and it embarked on some pretty colossal mega developments in Dubai proper, the, the, the entity of Dubai, which also now seem to be pretty, pretty major mistakes. Are you referring to the uh, indoor ski dome where a man can ski on a man-made mountain on man-made snow? <laughs> I am, in fact. And this is in a desert country that already had an indoor man-made ski hill, so it, it added another one. Um, but I talked to a guy named Christian Koch. He's a PhD researcher at something called the Gulf Research Center. And he said these investments were all part of a strategy and a pretty good strategy at that basic ideas behind some of these uh, new projects and, and, and tourism projects as well. 
uh, were quite sound, but uh, it just got a little bit uh, too crazy, and, 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 and people let some of these ideas go to their heads. Uh, and it went all too fast, and, and, and some of the projects were just uh, too grand in the end of the day. You build the tallest tower in the world, uh, and you already announced plans for, for, tower, for several towers that are supposed to be even taller, up to one kilometer and, and beyond that. You, you build a, a ski slope in a mall in Dubai, and you make plans to build a ski dome, uh, which is going to be ten times the size. Uh, you plan uh, Palm Island that is, can be seen from supposedly from the moon, and then, and then you build two other. You plan two other Palm Islands that are even bigger than this. Uh, and I mean, ultimately, that's the question of how much can you sustain all this construction and development, and what does it mean actually to keep it going? Right. So I think, uh, in that sense, it just got a little bit uh, out of sync. So this is where we stood last uh, before last week. Basically, the people who built, borrowed money to build all this stuff were now saying we can't pay it all back right now. And there was concern around the world that this could cause a chain reaction. Then everyone sort of calmed down when Abu Dhabi signaled, listen, we're not going to let it get that bad. Abu Dhabi, remember, is sitting on top of over $800 billion because they have all the oil. And the amounts at risk here were less than a tenth of that. But all this hubbub did get us thinking here at Planet Money. You know, what is up with Dubai? <laughs> you know, it's sort of seen as this it's sort, of, sort of cartoonish now, this land of excess in the desert. Um, and, you know, I, I know a couple things about it. I know that it's new, very new. It's very rich. There are people who come there to work from all over the world and that these expatriates far outnumber the, the locals, actually. And I just have this sense of sort of a big corporate hotel where people come and go, but nobody really lives there. Um, it's basically this soulless place. Like living in Disneyland or something, but Dave, I actually talked to someone who lives there, and she changed my mind. Um, Jane Meekle is her name, uh, and one of the first things that changed my mind was that she actually couldn't speak when we'd originally planned on it because she had this conflict, a conflict which I found very surprising. I had to go to my soccer game. They have this women's league here. There's people from all over, and they just get together a couple times a week and play. It gets pretty competitive, but we're in the less competitive level. Not only is there a, a women's soccer league in Dubai, but there's several levels of a women's soccer league in Dubai. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so who, who's on your team? How many different nationalities are on your team? Um, probably, as, as a guess, I'd say eight. Uh-huh. At least. There's like... Armenians and Russian Armenians and Palestinians who grew up here and um, uh, Germans and South Africans and Canadians and um, an Austrian-American girl who was born in Mexico. And um, in the league in general, I mean, there's Africans, there's tons of, like, there's Arabs from all over the Arab world. There's local Emirati girls. And uh, it's a really mixed bag. So, Dave, Jane, Jane moved to Dubai several years ago, and she worked there first in PR. Now she's in film. There's actually a big film festival in Dubai, and, and she's a filmmaker. Um, and she said that there actually is this really interesting and complex society made up of people coming from all over the world. There's several different layers of Dubai society, so you can kind of make it what you want it to be, much like any other place, but I think even more so, because there, there are different extremes of lifestyle. Like, there are people who are very religious and sort of hang out with their religious group and, um, you know, have, I don't know, fundraising activities for their mosque or their church. And then there's people who 
just want to party all the time and they go around, they go out to all the clubs and you know meet a, meet a different person every night and you end up partying with them after the club closes in some house that they've they own just for that purpose and they the only thing in there is a DJ stand and then you go into the kitchen and they've bought all these McDonald's burgers and you just see beautiful women stuffing their faces with cold McDonald's burgers and then partying with this guy like it's just really surreal <laughs> it sounds so wait a minute. Kind of, it sounds like is that what happened to you last night no it, it did happen to me once though i got dragged to a place by a friend but it's uh i mean there are so many different possibilities so uh, so when you first got there were you planning on staying or, or did you know no i mean i thought i'd be here for a year and then now it's been almost four by the time being, I'm still learning a lot, and I still like it. And, and what do you like about it? It's so heterogeneous, and it's so complex in so many ways. And you've got all these different combinations of people, and they all have to deal with each other, which results in some extremely interesting situations. And also because there's no real accepted, like, civic norms of behavior, you sort of behave, everyone just behaves the way they'd behave more or less at home. So everyone has, you know, everyone's going to have their idea of what constitutes personal space. Everyone's going to have an idea of what constitutes, like, an appropriate volume of voice when you're talking to someone (laughs) or, you know, appropriate wording of emails or punctuality or, you know, all of those things that make up professional life. Everyone will have a slightly different take on it. So in work situations, it can be really fascinating. And then socially, obviously, there's, like, so many different possibilities that abound. So, so just just talk more about that. You know, on the, how, how so you've got all these like, for example, at your workplace, how how does this whole thing play out? Like all these different nationalities working in the same place. How, I mean, can you describe some situations where where that's been a factor where you see that operating? Yeah, I mean, pretty much every day. I guess everyone kind of has their own theory on how to deal with people based on where they're from. Uh-huh. Like, what are those theories, for example? like what do you... Oh, my God, there's so many. I mean, let's say um, at, at the PR agency, if a client is upset, and if I went to talk to my boss about a client being upset, the first question he would ask me is, where is that person from? Uh-huh. And then the approach would be totally different depending on, on the answer. So it's sort of like a, a navigational kind of stereotype or some sort of productive generalization that he finds the best, like he finds the best approach based on how he feels that someone's going to receive it. And it, was it a situation where like you'd have a meeting and then you could sort of tell the, the order at which people would show up at the meeting by which nationality? Yeah. Was... Oh, really? Yeah. So who's yeah. first, who's last? <laughs> I don't want to say. Oh, come on. We know. <laughs> this, is, this is also, by the way, very Canadian of you. My wife is Iranian, and I've definitely noticed that, like in her family, there's, there's, it's like there's no stigma against stereotyping or pigeonholing. Like even down to like personal, like the, you know, that's very, you know, like oh, that you're the ugly one, you're the smart one in the family. You know, they'll say, to each, <laughs> yeah. you know what I or, mean? And like, you've gained a lot of weight. <laughs> yes, exactly. And uh, and and that's and it seems like it's a pretty, I mean. You know, I, I feel I, I feel like you are being more reticent about this than, say, if I was talking to somebody else, uh, you know, somebody maybe from a Middle Eastern background, they would be like, oh, yes, clearly, like, this is, you know, these people behave this way and these people behave this way and everybody knows it. Do you think no, but I, I mean, I know all of those things. Like, the, the fascinating thing is that I've learned all these 
all these ideas that everybody else has about each other. Uh huh. So, what, and then so I what can are some of the take them with a grain of salt or not? Like, but what, but what are the like, what is the established? Like, give me those established the footnotes okay, rules. Okay. Well, there's so many. Like, who knew? Like, in the Arab world, I mean, the the Lebanese are sort of like the um, francophile, very fashiony. Um, you know the the assumption is they might have like they might have loose morals. Okay. You know they're always they spend more on on clothes than they make in a in a year. You know this is the the idea. So and the Lebanese really are and they love to party. The, okay, so the Le- Lebanese are the yeah. libertine dandies. Exactly, and then and then everyone says everyone else is cheap. <laughs> so the, so like the Jordanians are cheap, the Egyptians are cheap. You know, everyone's cheap. Uh, lots of lots of people are lazy. Like everyone will be like, these Saudis are so lazy. They never work. You know, the Egyptians are lazy. The Lebanese are lazy. Um, I mean, it's <laughs> so every, every so, so, so the Lebanese say the Saudis are lazy. The, Le- the Saudis say the Lebanese are lazy, or something like yeah. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's it, it's funny as you're saying this. Like I feel like there's I can't decide whether. So so here you are you're in this you got people from all over the world trying to trying to get along. It sounds like what you do is you sort of shorthand stereotype everybody. So I'm wondering if it makes you actually more likely to stereotype or less likely to stereotype. I think that it it makes I think it makes people here a little bit less likely to stereotype because they meet so many people from different places. Like you might be making some assumptions as a way to prepare yourself to meet someone, but then obviously their personality is going to make a big difference too. Right. But sometimes I've spoken with this about people in Canada and they're kind of like offended or they find it a bit of a dangerous concept. And I think when I first came here, I did too. Right. But I just think it's more of a practical look at what people actually do in their day-to-day lives. Right. And again, you're not always right, you know, but but it sort of acknowledges that the person isn't the same as you. And why should they be? Like, they're not from your background at all. And and it's not just the people, she says. Like, the, the, the entire city itself is in this constant state of, of change. The, the place itself. Even last night, I was in a taxi, and I was going somewhere I hadn't gone in a little while, and the road was totally different, and my directions were wrong. And it happens all the time, because things, everything is in flux. Really? So, like, even a, a neighborhood that you were at, that you went to like a year ago, you go back and it's everything's different. It'll be different. Like the landmarks will have changed, the streets will have changed. Yeah, it'll be it'll be really different. It might be hard to find my way around. And and that's what I wanted to ask you. You know, there's a sense in some of the press reports that you get here now that like Dubai flew flew too close to the sun, and now and now it's crashing back down to earth. Mm-hmm. It. it does that is that how it feels there on the ground? Not particularly. I mean, there's still stuff happening. There's still it might be a bit subdued. It won't be like a launch a week of some crazy, you know, exciting mega project or some like, you know, some entrepreneur who's coming in and introducing this or that. Like, there won't be the same big ticket things. But there's still stuff happening here, and there's still. There's still been so much invested and, and um, so many people's time and energy and money being been put into some, to building something. Crashing down to the ground seems a bit extreme. And I have to say that the schadenfreude that I've, I've witnessed, especially in the British press over the last couple of weeks, well, definitely over the last year, but definitely over the last couple of weeks, is just kind of laughable. It's like, have you never seen economic cycles? Like, 
I'd, I would say the same thing during the boom. Like to read the British press, it was like Dubai was going to go on sailing forever, mm-hmm. the same way it was. And then now it's like Dubai has failed. It's you know it's mired in debt. It's you know it's all going downhill from here. And it, these are the same journalists who came over on business class and like went home with all kinds of swag and wrote glowing articles about how great it all was. Everyone was participating in it, and everyone still is participating in it. And if anyone, you know, I don't think anyone should feel morally morally superior. And I think a lot of the moral superiority and the supercilious attitude that people had towards, you know, these crazy desert Arabs are taking all their money and buying shiny things and, you know, all of that was really just, I think, envy. You know what, Alex? Yeah. You know what I'm hearing there? I'm hearing national pride for a country that's not her nation (laughs) and that used to be desert. Exactly, exactly. And we talked about that, that they're actually out of this sort of, you know, lack of a common culture. A common culture is sort of evolving. She was was feeling um, Dubai pride there for sure. That's what I think would happen if we, uh, you know, eventually build a huge spaceship and put seven people from every country on it. It'd sort of be like that. The place looks like a spaceship. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, it is sort of. They a, just need yeah. to put some engines on the bottom of it, and, and we're yeah. good to go. I'm, I'm sure some ent- entrepreneur is planning that right now. <laughs> there probably is a plan somewhere. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and now you know, Jane obviously is not an economist, but but I did talk to a number of economists and and also read a lot of press reports about this. And her basic takeaway is the same as is 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 what I've been hearing from other people, which is that yes, there's you know they overbuilt. They're not going to be able to pay back all their debts, but the amount of debt that that they're going to default on is insignificant compared to the wealth of the UAE in general. And that fears of of it crashing down entirely to the ground or like causing a global contagion seem at the moment to be overblown. Yeah, what was the total debt they had to restructure? The total debt is $26 billion. See, that doesn't even seem big to me anymore. I know, I know. All right, then I think that does it for us here today at Planet Money. Uh, check out the blog, npr.org slash money, where I've posted a post-climate game analysis looking at how Mike Pesca nearly destroyed the planet in our attempt to combat climate change on the last podcast. That's that's uh, There's a spreadsheet there if you really want to get into it. <laughs> and of course, we always love to hear from you if you're living in Dubai or you have a, a take on Dubai that is the, the same or even better different than the one we just heard. Please let us know if you have a spreadsheet to send us. Uh, send it all to us here at planetmoney at npr.org. Again, that's planetmoney at npr.org. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm David Kestenbaum. Thank you for listening. And I